tonight I'm, I'm excited to be encouraged by the Word of God. Uh, sometimes the midweek service, uh, we, get, we come to church and uh, we've had uh, the, past, the cares of the world have weighed us down. And uh, it's in, in good to be able to come and be encouraged by God's Word. And so we're grateful for your faithfulness. Look at John chapter 17 with me. John chapter 17 and verse number 20. In John 17, we see Jesus Christ is uh, approaching the end of His time, His earthly time on earth. And in the last few weeks, we've looked at uh, verses 1 through 19. And we've really been through this. This is a prayer that Christ prayed at the very uh, end, right before He went into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And then He was taken from there by the soldiers uh, to, before Pilate. And then uh, eventually to the cross where He was crucified and to the grave where He uh, was buried and then rose again. And I'm grateful that uh, we have this intimate look into Christ and His thought and His life and His passions. And as we look through verses, uh, through the first few verses, it has been a very encouraging uh, mini-series, if you will, to see what God has uh, desired to do and what, what Jesus Christ prayed for and the intimacy He enjoyed with His Father in the first few verses. And then beyond that, His passion for His disciples and now tonight we're going to look at as he takes the his last portion of his prayer and he begins to really to pray for the church. I believe that we see in these last seven verses, verses 20 through 26, that Jesus Christ was passionate about the church. Have you ever known anybody that was passionate about something? Right? right? Ever seen football on television and these guys get up in 20 degree weather and they've got their... Chest, uh, shirts off and they've got their chest painted with uh, all the different words and you think these guys are insane amen no these guys are passionate about what they believe in uh, they believe in football and in i grew up in texas and and football was a god amen uh, for those who grew up down there and uh and i tell you that uh, we lived breathed uh, ate drank football it was everything uh from about uh, august to december when uh when the championships were over and, you know, and we think about that, so many of us and so many people today are passionate about something. What are you passionate about? Uh, there's some people that are passionate about cars. There's some people that are passionate about hunting. There's some people that are passionate about jewelry, maybe. I, I, you know, I've never been a lady, so I, don't have a, I have a hard time understanding what you're passionate about. That's a good thing, amen? All right, good. All right, good. So, you know, but seriously, we can be passionate about our family, which is all good things, but what is, are you really passionate about what God is passionate about? I've heard some people say, well, I love Jesus, but I'm not so sure I love the church. Man, I always have a hard time with that. Does anybody else have a struggle with that? And because I think about Jesus Christ, and He gave Himself for the church. He literally displayed His passion for the church on the cross where He died for us. And if, if, if Jesus was that passionate about the church, then where are we? Do we love the church like Jesus did? And so we see all of these things. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 5 and uh, verse number 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He, he displays for us in the marital uh, passage there how obvious it is that Christ loves the church. And so we want to see that in this prayer, that Jesus, as he begins to pray for uh, not just the, the apostles, not just those who were there with him, but even for us who came later. And Jesus, I, I was so encouraged by this today uh, as I studied and prepared because uh, we got some, you know, we get different uh, things that happen and, and we got good news this week and we got bad news this week about different things going on in people's lives in our church. And I was reminded of the very, the very truth that Jesus Christ loves the church. 
with all of her faults, with all of her failures, with all of the, uh, the good times and the bad times, Jesus loves the church. And so let's get into the text tonight. Let's be encouraged by John chapter 17, and let's read verses 20 through 26. It says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they, may, uh, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou, hast had, which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and thou hast uh, loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that, thou, uh, that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou uh, hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the text, and thank you, Lord, for the prayer of Jesus Christ. Lord, what an encouragement it is to us as believers. Lord, as he pours out and displays his love for his apostles, Lord, for his willingness to follow your will in the first part of this, this chapter. But Lord, here at the end, as he prays for us, us who are yet uh, to, to come when the, this prayer was prayed, and yet even, the more, even more so the believers that are yet to be one to Christ. And we just thank you, Lord, that he loves us and that you love us. And Lord, encourage our hearts for those families that are going through hardships. May you encourage them tonight uh, that they might be reminded of your presence and power in the midst of it. We pray these things in Jesus' wonderful, mighty name. Amen. As we see here in the first few verses, I just want to encourage you that Jesus Christ proves his love. And he shows his passion for the church because he has a desire for unity. You think about unity. I, I, when our nation was experiencing great unity, we saw uh, uh, our armies go against uh, uh, just some terrible regimes, the Axis powers, and we saw the destruction of evil. Uh, but yet when we're divided, we see uh, those same things uh, work against us. And during the time of the Civil War, we saw a time of great uh, disunity in our nation that brought war and bloodshed and famine. And, and, and I tell you, I'm reminded of how precious unity is. And how sometimes, it, how precarious it seems to hang in, in our lives and, and in, our, uh, in the different areas of our life. And, you know, in families, unity is important, isn't it? And I think about my own family and, and how important it is for my wife and I to, to be yoked together to serving Jesus Christ together. And that's why God reminds us not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers because sometimes what happens is a, a guy or a gal will see a, another lady or another man that, that they think is really pretty or maybe really handsome and they think, man, uh, this is the guy that I want to marry, or this is the girl I want to marry, and, but they're not believers. And they say, well, it's no big deal. I'll win them to Jesus. You've y- heard this, right? And what happens is they, get, they are married, and they become unequally, unequally yoked, and the marriage is a disaster. And they go two different ways. There's no unity there because it's not based upon Jesus Christ. And so Christ desired for the church to have a unity uh, a desire for us to, to really just to go forward together uh, as a church uh, for, for the purpose of God's will and seeing others saved. And so we see that in verse number 21. Before we get there, though, I see that in verse 20 that Jesus Christ really embraces the redeemed. 
in verse number 20, he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Uh, and so we see that, that Jesus Christ not just was praying for the apostles, but all of us. Aren't you glad that God ties in all of us in this room tonight to this prayer? That Jesus Christ is praying for us even, even at this moment 2,000 years ago, that He prays that we might experience the unity of Christ. Here in our church tonight, uh, uh, that prayer still resonates in the halls of this building, that, that we would have unity as we go forward for Christ. This is a glorious climax in Christ's prayer. Here at the very end, we find that He does not simply pray uh, for the apostles, but all generations that were to follow. And so He prayed for some things in this prayer. Look, look at John 17, verse number 11. There's, there's seven things that Christ prayed for the company of the redeemed. Here in verse number 11, He says He prays for their preservation. He says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and come to Thee, Holy Father, keep through Thine own name those whom Thou hast given Me, that they may be one as we are. And so we see that Jesus Christ desired to preserve, uh, preserve these. And then we also see a jubilation in verse number 13. It says, And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Christ wanted uh, us to experience joy as well. And he goes and talks about the emancipation from evil. Jesus Christ wanted us to be liberated. Isn't that a good thing? You know, we think about what Jesus Christ did for us when the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, and He removed the penalty of sin, right? Uh, no longer am I destined to hell, but now I've been liberated from that. But also, He allows us to be liberated from uh, even the power of it in our life. Look at verse 15 with me. He says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. And so Jesus again prays for the church and prays for the apostles that they would be kept from evil. And so he goes on and builds on that in verse number 17 as he prays for sanctification. In verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so we, again, we see that Jesus Christ has a desire for us to be sanctified. And we talked about that uh, quite a bit last week. And sanctification is that work of God in our life, it's a process. And we're continually, as, as He is sanct sanctifies us, being saved from the power of sin in our life. And we're no longer made under the power of it. Amen? And so then He goes on from there in verse number 21, and He begins to share uh, about a prayer of unification and uh, where we're at right now. And He says, "...that they all may be one, as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me." And so we see that Jesus desired for unification of the church. And then he also wanted us to, uh, he prayed that we might be associated with him. Uh, you know, Jesus, uh, excuse me, in Romans 1, we were reminded that the Apostle Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Amen. He wanted to be associated with Jesus Christ. And so verse 24, it says, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. And we see this association. And later in the verse, we, he talks about their gratification. All of these things that we would have gratitude. And he says, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And so we see throughout this, throughout this prayer, Christ was consumed with praying for not, not just uh, his own desires, well, we saw, although we saw that in the first six verses, but also for the apostles in the church. What a joy it is to consider that Christ thought not only of his himself and what he's about to go through, but for us. It's humbling to consider that Jesus, on the precipice of his own 
uh, in, uh, impending death and separation uh, from the Father, that at this moment He would pray for us. We are the recipients of this, this encouraging prayer. Prayer is very encouraging, and, and I tell you, uh, as I consider uh, that, uh, that God reminds us that prayer is something that is absolutely essential in the church. And so we think about this, and Christ identifies specifically who He's praying for, and He's praying for uh, those who would accept Christ in the future, and that's us today, because we were future from that point, and the identifying mark in their life is their faith in Christ. Uh, and then this faith, faith is founded upon the Word of God. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. In Romans chapter 10, we're reminded in verse number 14, how, the, how shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe on Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? In verse number 17, so, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You see, these people that he was praying for, well, you and I, we've accepted by faith Jesus Christ's blood and uh, sacrifice on the cross. And then uh, that is a result of what we have understood and believed based upon God's word. And so he's praying for the church tonight. And he prays for the unity in the church in verse number 21. No doubt one reason why the Savior mentioned the unity of his people so frequently in this prayer. In verse number 11, verse number 21... Verse number 22, verse number 23, was to intimate that the middle wall of partition, which for so long divided Jews from the Gentiles, was on the point of being broken down. And that now he would make in himself of twain one new man. Isn't it glorious what God has done? When Jesus Christ, he laid himself on the cross, he, he talked about unity, and we can experience unity tonight. Uh, you know, as a church, because, of, because we're reminded that the ground is level at the cross. It doesn't matter if I've, I've got a pedigree a mile long or if I am the son of a garbage man, which consequently I am. You know, it doesn't matter what, what your past may be because of what Christ has done, we're equal tonight. Satan desires to divide, doesn't he? Satan desires to bring disharmony. Satan desires to destroy, and that's what John 10.10 warns us about as Jesus warned his disciples. He says, The thief cometh not but to, for to kill, or, or excuse me, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He was talking about the role of the wolf and the, and the flock of the shepherd, and, and I'm reminded that, that he likens that into Satan's role in our life. And we see in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 18 that he describes Satan as a roaring lion seeking whom he may, what's the word, church? devour. Listen, the early church and every church since Jerusalem has experienced the destroying effect of disunity. It's important, therefore, us to see that Christ prays for unity in the church. Unity displays to the world that Jesus is Lord and He was sent by God. Can you think about some of our interactions on Facebook? Uh, in, in or maybe in church business meetings or among ourselves. You know, it doesn't go unnoticed, does it? The world sees those things and the world looks upon those things and they see all the things that we testify to and, and sometimes we're, we're easily led into arguments or, or disagreements and, and I'm reminded that those arguing or the belittling comments, that those things have nothing to do uh, with bringing others to Jesus Christ. Instead, you know what it does? Is it tells the world, listen... We're so busy fighting amongst ourselves, we could care nothing about you. Christ reminds us that our unity 
despite our differences, is what tells the world Jesus Christ is King. 1 John 4.2, he says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that, Je- that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Let our rallying point, let our unity be found in the fact that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Jesus Christ is our Savior. The Word of God is our uh, determination for what we believe and what we practice. Because as a church, there's going to be enough things that try to divide us. And as we try to go forward, understand, listen, we're not always going to agree, right? There's going to be, we have personality differences, imagine that. And some of us, believe it or not, are a little bit stubborn, amen? But this is what I know. Even in disagreements, we don't have to be disagreeable. We can choose to say, you know what, I love you in spite of. I love you because of Christ. And I want God to get the glory. Because every time we harbor bitterness and every time we, we bring up uh, strife and, con- and discontentment and we, we stir up disunity, guess who gets the victory? It's not God. It's Satan. 1 John 4.20 says, If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. How much straighter, how much straighter can God say it? For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he uh, love God whom he hath not seen? I'm encouraged by the unity of our church. I'm encouraged that God has allowed us to work together. I'm encouraged that God's reminded us here in this little, little verse, in verse number 21, that there is no middle wall of partition. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no rich or poor. We're all the same here in the body of Christ. And I'm grateful that because of what Christ has done, there doesn't have to be schism in the body. Because of what Christ has done, there doesn't have to be anything between the brethren. Because of what Christ has done, we can see the love of God continue to abound more and more. And so in verse number 22 and verse 23, we see that Christ desires not only for unity in the church in those next, for previous verses, but He desires for, for exaltation in the church. And what I mean is that He desires for the glory of God to uh, abound more and more. It says in verse 22, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. So let's look at this. Christ offers His glory to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so what, what does He mean? We're not talking about the glory that, God, uh, that Christ possessed as the eternal Son. We're not talking about the glory that Christ possessed as the, one that, the only one that is co-equal with the Father. But in, instead, what we're talking about is that glory that we receive as a result of putting our faith in Jesus Christ, that glory that uh, allows others to uh, see God at work in our life. Because even when Isaiah 53, as it talks about what God has done, what Jesus had, would do on the cross, we're reminded that He would poured out His soul unto death. He poured out everything. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and, was, and made intercession for transgressors. Listen, the glory that Christ poured out upon the cross is what we receive today as a result. In Romans 8, 17, look here at Romans 8 with me. There's a couple of verses here that I think will encourage you in your Bible. In Romans chapter 8 and verse number 17, he reminds us that we share this glory with Christ. He says, and if children, and talking about our relationship with God, he says, then heirs. Heirs of who? God. Wow. Can you imagine this? That, that, That me, and man, you don't know me as well as I know me, but that God would look upon me and say, you're my son. That God looks at us tonight when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and He looks at you and He says, 
you are now my son or my daughter. And he says, you're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Listen, we're reminded tonight that, that we can share in the glory of Christ when we put our faith in him as our Savior. But it must come when we put our faith in Him. We're not going to receive anything special as a result of just of rejecting Him. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 30 says, Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. So absolutely certain is our future glorification that it is spoken of as a thing already accomplished. But though the actual bestowment of the glory may yet be future, it is presented for faith to lay hold of and enjoy even now. Let me encourage you, church. We have a, a sure thing when we put our faith in Christ. We have a, a sure bet that when uh, we put our faith in Jesus Christ that we know that we know that we know that we have a home in heaven and that we will be glorified with Him in eternity. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. The latter part of our uh, verse in chapter John 17, 22, it says, And the glory which thou hast gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. The glorification that God has already began to work in our life and we, uh, that, that we will one day receive, we receive in part even now for the purpose of unifying the church and, and God wanting to work a mighty work in our church and in our lives to bring unity in our homes. How else could we experience homes that are places that are pleasant? Amen? Uh, when you think about man and, wo and woman, how much more different can you be? Amen? I mean, and the world says, oh, there's no differences. I, I beg to differ. There's a quite a bit of differences. And we, we look not just on the outside, but the inside. And the Lord makes us different for a reason, because we complement one another. The, the Lord says that the wife was the helpmeet of the man, because the Lord knows we can't live without him. Amen, guys? we got to have our wife. I tell you, I don't know what I'd do without mine. Oh, she's in here. I'm not supposed to let her hear that. <laughs> but I, I tell you that, that really, we think about the, the vast differences in, in man and wife, and the only way there could ever possibly be unity, the only way there could ever possibly be enjoyment is because of what God can do in your life as a result of Jesus Christ. When we stand before Christ, He will not ask you if, been, if you were of a royal heritage. He's not going to ask you if you were the son of a garbage man. He's not going to ask you uh, what your uh, pedigree or what your background or what you did or what you didn't do. He's going to know if your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And let me just invite you tonight. If you don't know for sure that you're on your way to heaven... There's no greater thing that you can do besides receive Him. Receive the wonderful gift of God. I want you to see here in verse number 23 with me. It says, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Notice that this future work of Christ brings to the world the evidence of Christ at work in our life. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith. God desires for us in our life to be unified. God desires for us in our life to let God work in our life in, in, in just a patient work as we just desire uh, the Lord to, to manifest Himself in us. 
Philippians 1, 6 reminds us that God is continually working this work until He sees us. Why? Our, his desire is that our lives may bring glory to Him. You know, an obedient life says, to God be the glory, great things He hath done. Christ desires that the church be lifted up for the purpose that the world may know that salvation is in Him. Man, let's lift Him up together. And the last thing we see here in verses number 24 through 26, I just want to share the last thing, and He desires glorification. Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which Thou hast given me, for Thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. When we put our faith in Christ, we are instantly justified. It's instantaneous. It only needs to happen once. Amen? But then when we allow God to work in our life, uh, as a Christian, we are sanctified. We're made into the image of Jesus Christ. It's a lifelong process. But when we breathe our last on earth, we are glorified. Finally being removed from the presence of sin. And what, a, what a wonderful thing that will be. Now that old song says, What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. It will be a wonderful day when we get to be uh, glorified in, and be in the presence of God. Christ desires to be with us. That's what I read here in verse number 24. He says, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Christ desires to spend time with you. Christ desires to be with you. Uh, he says, this, if you notice, he says, I will that they also whom thou, whom thou hast given me. This word, I will, Christ mentions this other times too. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 13, as he, was, uh, uh, as he healed a leprous man, he said, and he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. Notice that when Jesus Christ said, I will, here in this text, that immediately we see that, that uh, prayer was answered. And we see here in verse 24 that Jesus says, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Christ desires that. And for, here for the first time Christ says, I, I will. It was a word of authority. He says, becoming him who was God as well as man, he speaks of this as his right on account of his purchase and of the covenant trans transactions between the Father and the Son concerning those, give, uh, those given to him. I will comported with uh, the authority which the Father has given him over all flesh and the glory into which he has entered. Or again, this I will uttered just before his death may regard it as his testament. This was the legacy which he bequeathed to us. Heaven is ours an inheritance left to us by Christ. What a substantial statement that he has made here for us. What assurance that we can gather from this. No matter what may, we may face here on earth, he says, I will that you be with me. Psalm 16 and verse number 11. We're encouraged by these words. It says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In God's presence, folks, there is joy. That's why John 14.3 encourages us. In the time of death and oftentimes when we know someone who's died or in the moment when we're going through a valley, we're reminded that Jesus said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Excuse me. There, are, there where I am, I'm, you may be also. 
what joy? What comfort comes from the words of Christ? As Jesus Christ anticipates the moment of our arrival. Oh, it will be a sweet day, won't it? God calls us in this life that he's called us to. I tell you, I'm reminded that he says, listen, you're not the same as you used to be. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. Tonight, let me encourage you. Would you live like Christ? Christ lived so devoted and he was so in love with the church that as he prayed for us and as he gave himself for us and he just devoted himself. I tell you, I'm overwhelmed tonight with the love of God. That, that through all of it, through all that he went through and just on the eve of his, of his death, we see that God can love us so richly. And he calls us in Matthew chapter 16. He says, if any man will come after me, he says, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And so let us give our lives to him. Because we see in verse number 26 that truly we are loved beyond measure. John 3.16 proclaims to the world, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The evidence of God's love is evident in Christ's life, in Christ's prayer, and especially in Christ's death. First Corinthians chapter 13 reminds us, above everything else, above the greatest things, the greatest gift that we could ever have is not, as he says, the gift of tongues or prophecy or any of those things. The greatest gift that you could ever have is, is the gift of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And so let me just, let me, as we come to the, the conclusion of this text tonight, I'm reminded of a couple things. He says in verse 25, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare, unto, declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus reminds us tonight that God's desire is for you to come to Christ. God's desire tonight is that you might understand that Jesus died for you, that he rose again, and that he, he uh, paid the ultimate price so that you could have a home in heaven. And so not just you and I, but the whole world could be saved. And let me just, uh, and I'm just so uh, captivated by this thought that if Jesus gave that much, what are we willing to give as a result? If Jesus is willing to give so much to, that the world may have the opportunity to be saved, are we willing to tell them? Are we willing to go? Are we willing to, to share Christ even when we're uncomfortable? Romans 5 and verse 5, it says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Will you come to Him tonight? Perhaps you, like many others, um, have realized in your life that you've gone through some very difficult things of late. 
Maybe you're going through a spiritual high and, and a time of great encouragement. I'm grateful for the faithfulness of the Lord, no matter where you're at. And so may I just invite you tonight, would you come? Would you come and let the Lord uh, challenge you? Would you let the Lord uh, allow you to be part of bringing unity in the church? Would you let the Lord uh, unite your family in His name? Would you allow, allow the Lord to work in, in bringing a transformation in your heart and your life? And would you allow Him tonight to renew your spirit?